So anyway, let's dig right in here this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 14. I want to begin at verse 22. So if you have your Bibles open there, if you follow with me. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, He said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called out, Lord, if it's really You, then tell me to come to You walking on the water. Why, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Matthew 14 and Exodus 14 have something in common. One is about going forward through the parting of the water, and the other is about going forward walking on the water. Each instructs us to go forward by faith. You remember how the children of Israel stood at the at the at the Red Sea and were they going to cross or not going to cross? The waters parted in front of them. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have, I would have had a little bit of skepticism. And Moses says, go ahead, while he's standing there on the rock with his arms in the air. Now, how about if you were the first family that got to cross? You know, that could have been exciting, couldn't it? You had to step out by faith, didn't you? That's why God allowed the Egyptian soldiers the dust from the chariots and horses to be seen by the children of Israel standing at the Red Sea because they never would have gone. But see, the dust was coming up. The soldiers were coming and they were going to die. So in their mind, they thought, I might as well die in the water. Here we go. And they took off. And the Bible says they went across on dry land. (laughs) It's been muddy around here the last few days, has it not been? I told Kristen this morning, I said, every time you have the little guys ride outside the front door, which I think is fabulous, by the way. I love the graffiti on the driveway. I just love it. I just love it. Wait till you see the new bats this morning. I said, but Kristen, every time they ride out there, it rains. So keep up the riding every week. Let's ride so we'll have more rain. It'd be great. But you see, some have tragically tried and fatally failed in their attempt to walk on water. An article found in the uh, Daily Record, it was a newspaper in Scotland, uh, dated August 30th, 2006, this story, a miracle is sunk. A priest has died after trying to demonstrate how Jesus walked on water. Evangelist preacher Frank Cabelli, 35, told his congregation that he could repeat the biblical miracle, but he drowned after walking out to sea from a beach in the capital uh, Libreville in Gabon, West Africa. One eyewitness said, and I quote, he told churchgoers that he had had a revelation that if he had enough faith, he could walk on water like Jesus. He took his congregation to the beach saying he would walk across the Como estuary, which takes about 20 minutes by boat. He walked into the water, which soon passed over his head, a witness said, and he never came back. (laughs) 
You see, he needed to enroll in Walking on Water Course 101, where you walk by faith, not by sight. And you see, walking on water symbolizes our venturing out in the shallows of uh, of superficiality and and out of those uh, uh, shallows and into the depths of Jesus. And in our story that we just read, I want us to look at three aspects of it. I want us to look at the crowd that was around. I want us to look at the call that Peter received. And then I want us to examine the care that Jesus showed toward him in the midst of this story. Well, let's look at the first aspect of it. It says that there was a crowd that surrounded him in verses 22 and 26. You see, all the disciples were involved in this process. And there was this huge crowd. They were just coming off the feeding of the 5,000. And it was just this huge crowd. And the first thing we notice in the first part of verse 26 is that the crowd was dwindling. You see, once the miracle is done, most of the crowd disperses. They don't want to stick around because either they want to go tell somebody or they want to go go to the coffee shop and gripe about it and say it never really happened anyway. It was a trick. It was fabricated. You see, you can see an actual miracle happen in front of you right now and you'll have doubt in your heart. You'll have doubt in your heart. Because you see in verses 1-13 through 13 of this same chapter, the enemies of Christ were among them. In verses 14-21, through 21, there was a multitude in need of Christ, but the rebel rousers, they, they weren't around just yet. And then in verses 22-27, through 27, that doubt processing had trickled down into the hearts and lives of the disciples. Those twelve. You see, that's what happens to us when we're around people that are always negative. They always find a way to get you to doubt what you really believe in your heart and want to stand in faith to believe. They'll get you to disbelieve it. Doctor says you have cancer. You immediately go into panic mode. The boss says, that's eh, not going to work out. We need to let you go. You go into panic mode. Somebody says you need to go deeper in your walk with God. You immediately go into panic mode. Or you go deaf. Because you see, we don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. We don't want to move where we don't want to move. We don't want to exercise faith that we don't want to exercise. The closer a person walks with Jesus, the smaller the crowd will get. Have you noticed that? If you really take a stand for Christ, most people don't want to listen to you. I appreciate you guys when I see you out and about and you're with other folks. You introduce me as your preacher and I just want to ask you to not do that right off the bat. Because as soon as you introduce me as your preacher, the whole conversation changes. People won't cuss like they normally do. They try to hide their beer they're drinking. You know, just, just, just let them, let them find out on their own that I'm a preacher. Because usually the conversation gets around to, hey, what do you do for a living? And then I usually tell them, I sell insurance. They <laughs> say, well really, what company do you work for? I said, JC and Associates. Wow, I've never heard of them. Yeah, they've been around a while. It's one of those quiet companies, you know. I said, yeah, well, what kind of insurance do they sell? I said, fire, life, health, they have annuities. True, isn't it? I got it all, man. My company's got it all. Then eventually I get around and tell them I'm a preacher. 
And it's still, it's still the whole thing changed. Oh, you know, I, blah, 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 I used to go to church. Emphasis on the used to. I always ask them, so what made you quit? Oh, a hundred and thousand reasons why they never go anymore. But you know what I've discovered in my little sojourn in life is that most difficulties within churches arise not over the Word of God. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. It has everything to do with an individual's personal whatever. Have you noticed that as well? How sad our father must be when his own children can't even get along. Will we, will we always agree with everybody? Heavens, no. I don't always agree with Cindy until she tells me I should. And I jump straight. Yes, ma'am. In premarital, I tell these young men, I said, here's the one thing you need to learn, son, and you'll make it through your marriage and it'll be a long, fruitful marriage. Yes, dear, whatever you want. That's what you need to learn to say. Don't stand there and go tooth and toenail with them. You're going to lose, pal. You're going to lose. It's always compromise on the side of the husband. Glory to God. But you see, the closer a person walks with Jesus, the smaller the crowd gets. Many talk the walk. That's about as far as it goes. You've heard that. If you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And that sounds great, doesn't it? If you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. Yeah, you got to write a song to that sometime. Brother Dan, have a song ready next week. got to walk the walk. Yeah, man, let's go. It's like, it's like a man saying, man, I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world, but he never goes home to see her. Don't make any sense at all. Boy, listen now, I got it good at the house, brother. I'm telling you right now, she's good, she's vivacious. Yeah, ooh, yeah. <clears throat> the guy's out catting around on her. Hello, what's up with that? Woman says, oh, I've got this man at home. Mm, 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 mm. Well, she's never there. You see what I'm saying? If you're going to talk it, you better walk it. So if you're going to be a Christian, stand up and be one. Amen? It's all right. All they do is kill you. All they could do, the worst thing somebody could do to you is kill you. And yet for a Christian, that's gain. <laughs> we win. We win. So some of all walks in here with a gun. He says, preacher, if you don't quit preaching Jesus, I'm going to shoot you. What are you going to do if he shoots me? You're going to nail him, aren't you? You're going to nail him. You better get up and nail him right there. You better get up and hurt him. Because I can't help you. I'll be gone. You see, I'm out of here. you missed me, haven't you? I know you have. See, there were 11 in the boat, but only one got out. Peter didn't say, hey, I'll go if you'll go. You ever notice how women cannot go to the bathroom by themselves? I had a Christian comedian years ago named Pat Hurley. He used to call it life in the herd. <laughs> H-E-R-D. I mean, one girl, only one girl out of 20 has got to go to the bathroom. She goes, i got to go to the bathroom. Okay, okay, okay. Here they go. <laughs> You don't see guys, gotta go to the bathroom with 20 guys. Okay, okay, here we go. Okay. Well, don't announce it. <laughs> but Peter didn't say, hey, I'll get out of this boat if you guys will come with me. 
The majority of the people prefer living in a comfort zone. Boy, that's a tough thing to face, isn't it? What's your comfort zone? I don't know. You've got to decide that. You and the Lord have to decide what your comfort zone is. It may be that you don't want to get in front of people and talk. That's okay. It may be that you don't want to say anything about Jesus to anybody. That's not good. you got to get out of that one. Maybe we need to make a list of the comfort zones that you and I need to try to get out of. Don't give me that. I just say it. You talk more on the phone than you talk about Jesus. You don't have any problem talking on the phone, do you? Oh, I know. I've watched you. You got cell phones. You got earphones. You got satellite phones. You got every kind of phone you can think of. You got satellites. You got downloads. You got internet. You got earplugs. You got iPods. You got MP3s. You got wow. But if we ask you to share Jesus, I'm working on a series. I'm not sure when we're going to see it. But one thing that you will never get to do in heaven, that's the title. How's that? Now you'll have to hang on until I get it ready for you. One thing you can never do in heaven. Think about that. One thing you can never do in heaven. I'm also working on another series, about four messages, on why, it's, why Israel is important to you as a Christian. I'm working on a series for you. Man, God is just busting my heart open about this. He is just busting me about it. But why is Israel important to us as a Christian? I'm going to tell you. Hang in there. I'm going to tell you. But the majority of the people prefer living in a comfort zone. They don't want to change. They don't want to get out. They don't want to do anything different. They want to stay right where they are. If the church burned down, this building burned down, could we still have church? Because it's not about the building. Heaven forbid if we took the carpet up and didn't have carpet. If we took the pews out and had folding chairs. we You can't have church! Or can you? I just saw a little church building. Ed Wilson, how big was that church building we painted? That up. Give me some dimension. 20, how many? 20 by 20. Probably as big as this first section of pews right there. That's it. And they had the audacity to have folding chairs in their metal on concrete floor. How dare they try to have worship for God in that kind of place. They have the offering plate setting up by the door. You just give it as you go. I think they get $34 a month from the people. Man. Oh, we've got nice air running this morning. I wonder if they got air conditioning. I didn't see a compressor. Did you see that? I didn't even see much grass up there. And their bathroom facilities, hell off. Well, they have toilet stools to sit on. That's about it. Yeah, the doors don't even work on them. <laughs> the girls had to have somebody hold the door shut. Okay. Now the boys had a slat that flapped back and forth in the wind. Okay. Oh, that's totally unacceptable at church. Oh, and by the way, the bathroom is 100 yards away from the church house. I remember those days. <laughs> I remember those days. But you see, people prefer to live in that comfort zone. Second thing I want you to notice about this story 
is that the crowd was distraught. In the first part of verse 26, they were troubled. They were troubled. They were fearful. And we think we are in control and then boom, we're not. I was talking to a person who just moved here from California and they were, uh, they were saying, Hey, I, I saw the weather. They said tornadoes and said, it's a little early for tornadoes, isn't it? And I said, no, this is the time of year when they come here. Really? Yeah. They're destructive. They'll tear you up. Ooh. That guy's eyes got big every time I said something. And I told him, I said, Hey, it's, it's easy. You stand outside, you see where it's going, and then go the other way. He goes, Oh, is that it? I said, That's it. I didn't have the heart to tell him, It'll follow you. No. But you see, the word troubled, it, it means to be greatly disturbed and agitated. It's the same word, this troubled is the same word that's in John 14, 1, when Jesus said, Let not your heart be what? Troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Same word for troubled used both places. Remember, this is on the heels of the loaves and the fishes. Remember the lesson that was trying to be taught here and that was being learned here? They looked everywhere else for the answer to the problem before Jesus gave it to them. They finally turned to Him. The apostles were looking everywhere. They were they were trying to call Quick Trip. Do you deliver? They wanted Roly Poly to bring sandwiches out. They were trying to get Mazios to deliver pizza. I mean, they were look at five thousand people feeling here. Come on out. We got to find some food. Woo! Catering business. What? Give me the phone. I mean, they were on their cell phone trying to get old people. How absurd was that? So they shanghai this boy walking out to the walking out to the lake. Who's got these fish and bread? Bring it to Jesus. He looks at them and goes, and they're looking at him going, it's all we got. It's all we got. And he blesses, asks God to bless, and what happens? Everybody, everybody gets fed. And the best part of that whole story is what? The 12 baskets left over full of food. You know why? Because each of them got to carry their basket to the boat. Each of those apostles got to carry their basket to the boat. <laughs> And they looked everywhere. Everywhere. But it's that old same song, second verse. Until we turn to Jesus, we won't find the answers. Before the issue was food instead of faith. And now they focused on fear instead of faith. Third aspect of this crowd I want you to see in the latter part of verse 26 is that the crowd was doubting. Do you know why Peter was the only one who walked on the water? Now this is really a deep theological thing I'm going to share with you. Took me weeks and weeks, weeks to ascertain this truth, this nugget. And it came one day, pow, while I was sitting in my office, deep in prayer. God nailed me, knocked me out of my chair with this deep depth of this. Why was Peter the only one who walked on the water? It's because, are you ready? He wanted He wanted to. Why am I married to Cindy for 30 years? Because she beat me up and said, you're going to marry me, boy, right now. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're from Wichita Falls, Texas. Nobody can even pronounce it. 
Well, we're going to jerk you out of Texas and bring you to Oklahoma and straighten you up. That's what she did. And I was fearful for my life. That little five foot person jumping on my chest about to beat me to death. You know why I married her and stayed married to her for 30 years? Because she cooks, feeds me. That's why I did it. You know why? It's because she hugs me every now and then. That's why. I won't say anymore. But I could. I married her because I wanted to. And then I was in a posture of prayer until she said yes. But I wanted to long before she said yes. And when she said yes, at a pizza hut, that was a pizza inn, wasn't it? Pizza inn on Forest Boulevard. I was eating pizza. I don't know where it was. I figured, hey, if she says no, at least I'm going to have a good meal. It was a Sunday night after church. I figured I had the spiritual part covered just after church. She said yes. I think I said, really? <laughs> I was, oh, you little, I wasn't, I wasn't walking on the water. But you see, the crowd was doubting. He wanted to get out. He had a deeper desire to do something above and beyond like Enoch of old. Out of step with his generation, his desire to walk with God is what separated him. That crowd that surrounded him leads us to the call that sustained him. In verses 28 and 29, Peter was surrounded by a discouraged crowd, but he was sustained by this divine call. Peter wasn't standing on the water. Some think all they had to do is to stand up for Jesus. But you gotta do more than stand, you gotta walk. He gets out of the boat and he sees that he's standing, but he's gotta do something beyond standing, he's gotta walk. And you gotta walk, folks. Some of you have been Christians for years, years and years, and you've done nothing but just stand. Done nothing but stand. Some have done nothing but sit. You gotta get up and you gotta walk for Jesus. You gotta get up and you gotta walk for Jesus. When you got opportunity to share, share. Sure, is it going to put your, put your neck on the line? Absolutely. Why not? They killed your Savior. They haven't killed you yet. You haven't shed blood yet. Hebrews 12.4 Till you shed blood for the cause of Christ, quit your whining. And get busy serving and speaking and, and saying things for Christ. There's a couple of things about His call I want you to see in the first part of verse 27. It was a call of confirmation. Look at, look at verse 27. First part. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. Immediately Jesus spoke to him. He confirmed. Peter didn't just think outside the box. He thought outside the boat. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith dares to step despite not knowing what lies ahead. And if any place was Peter's comfort zone, it would have been a boat. He was a fisherman. That's all he knew. Stinking, cussing old fisherman. You ever been around fishermen? They stink. They smell like fish. Ugly, nasty fish. Oh, I don't like to fish. The guys that fish and do it all their life, they don't think, they don't smell themselves anymore. It's like that summer I worked at the sewer plant. And my mother said, change outside. I had no idea why she wanted me to change outside. I guess some of it comes home with you. You see. 
great missionary William Carey said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Jesus confirmed it. And then in the latter part of verse 27, there's a call of consolation when Jesus simply looks at them in verse 28. He says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. He just simply said, come. He just simply said, come. Out of all the times mentioned in the Bible, not one invitation is impossible. In verses, verse 29, it's not advice, but an admonishment. It's not counsel, but a command. It's not an option, but an order. To many of you, Jesus has sent the order to those unsaved come, to those uncommitted come. You see, we need to be about the business of bringing people to Christ. We need to be about the business of getting out of that comfort zone, at least saying something for Jesus. Don't quote Scripture. Just tell them what difference He made in your life. Don't quote Scripture right up front. Just tell them why Jesus means so much to you. The crowd, the call, and then thirdly, I wanted to share with you the care that Jesus took related to Peter and his situation that He showed to him in verses 30 and the first part of verse 31. Jesus didn't say, you're worthless. He didn't look at Peter and say, you're worthless. You low down, yellow belly backslider. You good for nothing chicken. You deserve to drown. After all I've done for you. Oh my God. And there's so many preachers that just want to preach you into hell right now. And we need a little dose of hell every now and then just to remind us of what's possibly out there for us. But because we're in Jesus, we don't have to worry about hell. Amen. Back to hell is the farthest thing from you. You don't have to worry about hell. There's a quote that I have on my door by Charles Spurgeon. It says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Boy, isn't that true? Man, lay in their way. Grab them by the legs. Say, you ain't going! <laughs> Do something to stop them from going to hell. But so many of us, we don't want to get involved. We don't want to get involved. People will let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. He will always pick you up, and He'll never let you go. Verse 30 starts out with the word but. I love that. But. You see, after this initial step, after He took that Sunday school class, after He uh, or she agreed to sing in the choir, after she or He said, I'll, I'll work in the worship team, after He said, I'll sign up to be in the nursery rotation, after they signed up to be a deacon, after they said, man, I can't be an elder, but I'll do something else. Uh, after they set up to fix communion every week, well, after they set up to be part of the fellowship team, after they set up to be part of the mission team, you get where I'm going. But, hey, maybe you've had a windy week in your life. You stepped out from the safety that you've been accustomed to and you've gone overboard and you're starting to sink. You know what you need to do. You need to look to Jesus. And you need to call out to Him. What got you in will get you back in. Let's look at this call and this care. I should say the care that Jesus showed. First of all, in verse 28, we see desire. Desire. In verse 28, Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's You, command me to come to You on the water. He showed desire. Do you show desire? When there's a call for helpers, do you even stand up to say, man, you can count on me? Or are you content to sit back on the sideline and let somebody else do it? And let somebody else do it. You see, I pray all the time, God, would you send workers to the field here? God, would you send people to work? 
And it may be somebody that's been here for umpteen years, and it may be somebody that just showed up. You see, what I'm praying for is for God to send workers. And if you want to work, we've, we'll find a place for you to work. There's a way for you to work. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God at this church. It is so refreshing to have so many people involved in so many facets of the ministry at this church now. So many people desiring to help. And they could use your help. If you're sitting on the sideline, get up and quit sitting on the sideline. Well, I just don't know what I could do. We'll find a way for you to serve. We'll find a way. Find a way. Find a way. In fact, don't wait for us to find it. You find it. That's the better way. You find it. You find a way to do it. I mean, we had a work day last Wednesday night. And it's so funny because on work days, when you announce a work day ahead of time, few will come. Few will come. Because it means work. I know that. But it's fun. Come and work. We whistle while we work. So come. There's always stuff to do. Flower beds need to be weeded. Playgrounds that need grass pulled up. Hedges that need to be trimmed. Trees that need to be cut back. Pipe 